Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. We are going to be breaking down kind of uh, two games here. I've got ESPN's Mike Rothstein joining me, and we talk a lot about the Falcons-Detroit game, even though that's already happened. It's in the rear view, but I just still feel like that loss needs to be unpacked. There were just so many parts of it that felt so unlike the team that we have grown to know under Arthur Smith that, yeah, I wanted his perspective on Desmond Ritter's performance, on just kind of the Falcons' overall energy level and and kind of tenacity in that game. It, it felt off. So we dig into a lot of that. It also really helps that, that Mike covered the Detroit Lions for a long time before coming down here uh, to Atlanta. So I really hope you guys enjoy that conversation. Kind of on the back end of our chat, we do spin it forward. We start talking about... Calvin Ridley, Trevor Lawrence, uh, the Jags matchup this upcoming Sunday. So as always, when Mike joins the show, it's uh, it's a blast. He has just so much information about this team, has all of the conversations, you know, that that everybody wants a reporter to be having with that coach, with with the players, like holds them accountable, but is fair, is objective. So I really respect and appreciate the work Mike does. And I hope you enjoy um, that conversation. Before we get to uh, to Mike, I do want to touch on just briefly some of the injury news, um, other reports that have just kind of cropped up around the Falcons uh, in the meantime. So we'll get into that briefly, and then we're going to get into my conversation with Mike. But first, football is back, and Bet Online is the number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Okay, so just a, a few little bits of, of news and notes uh, kind of coming out from the team to begin with. So Troy Anderson, unfortunately, uh, going on IR. It, it, his season looks like it will be over, um, which is a big blow for the second-year linebacker. Obviously, you know we know his athleticism. Everybody who saw the, the story in a training camp that the Falcons did that, uh, you know, Tory McElhaney had, did, had a hand in and the video team, they did just such good work um, on that story. So everybody was, was really rooting for Troy Anderson, myself included. He needed this year. I really do believe that to, to kind of get these game reps, to get this experience on Sundays, to learn the position at the NFL level. Now he's still going to get this time in the classroom. And, you know, I, he may be perfectly fine when all is said and done. Um, I, you know, I'm not him. And so I, I don't want to doubt people. That's really not why, uh, what I'm about, which is probably why I have such a, a hard time finding the words when I actually do want to be critical of somebody because ultimately like I, I root for people. I want them to do well. 
but there's no doubt that that Troy Anderson playing all 17 games this season, and I know he's already missed one, 16 games this season, would have benefited him more in the future than him missing, you know, all of this season. So you really do hate to see that for, you know, the the growth that maybe will be lost in the middle of Atlanta's defense. Um, but we'll see where they go from here. I think Nate Lamon played really well uh, in his time there. They, they obviously have Tay Davis, who, you know, they... I think like uh, as the reserve option there, but maybe the team does decide to bring in somebody because this is a longer term um, injury and outlook. And, you know, there's a lot of season left to play. Atlanta's defense has played well. I don't know if you just want to pull Troy Anderson out of that and expect it to continue. So we'll see what they do there. Um, Storm Norton, speaking of transactions, they, uh, they're signing him to the, the 53 in the uh, corresponding move with Troy Anderson. So you're getting some, at least some tackle depth, but I do think there's, you know, and, and Mike kind of touched on this a little bit as well. Yeah. There's a chance that if things continue to go the way they're going with Atlanta's offensive line, you got to start looking at options. Um, and so I, I kind of think that that could certainly be a reason why storm Norton is, is here in Atlanta. Now um, the other little thing that caught my eye this morning, uh, Wednesday, as I record this, was Jake Matthews' uh, contract being restructured and freeing up about $7 million um, in salary cap this year. I didn't get a chance to ask Mike um, about that, but I'm really curious to see you know, what they do. Obviously, you probably have a plan in place for that money. Um, I think you know whether some of that was earmarked for, for Storm Norton, who knows, but that's that's a decent chunk of change to convert to have kind of immediately. So that at least tells me that this team is maybe not in its final form, that they are not necessarily sitting pat with the product that we have seen, you know, through the preseason coming into the regular season that there's still like, uh, you know, a duck underwater. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the surface, which honestly I think should give you a little bit more optimism as a Falcons fan, right? Like this is not a team that wants to stand pat. And so even though they may say, the same things, the offense is kind of this, the same deal that Arthur Smith doesn't care about your fantasy points, all of that stuff. Like, kind of outwardly, they project like this traditionalistic old school football team. But I think there are a lot of really smart, innovative, creative thinkers in that building. And I, I do feel like they maybe have a move or two up their sleeve that we uh, don't know yet. So that was the other thing that really kind of caught my mind. Um, Cordero Patterson back on the injury report, thigh injury still. So his status seems like it's, uh, again, in question. Would love to see him out there. I do think, you know, the offense is probably better with Cordero Patterson out there, you know, like the Troy, Troy Anderson thing. Like, having him is better than not having him in whatever capacity uh, he can help this team. So I do hope he's able to uh, return to the field sooner rather than later. But, you know, you hope there's nothing long-term going on uh, with him as well. Uh, so that's kind of all I wanted to touch on up at the front. Um, actually the other thing, it's just kind of been weighing on my mind a little bit. I don't think I necessarily spoke as eloquently as I wanted to about the Desmond Ritter, uh, comments that I made with Ovi after the game, you know, saying that a, a quarterback needs to be able to hit his receiver in the hands. Obviously there are quarterbacks in the NFL who miss receivers all the time. I, Desmond Ritter was missing receivers, uh, on Sunday, not even close to their hands. So that's like not the bare minimum. You shouldn't not evaluate football. If, if you don't think that. So I, I was probably a little strong. What I meant to say 
is that there is a difference between hitting your receiver in the hands, which is what a lot of people on on Twitter were basically saying, like, how can you criticize Desmond Ritter? He was hitting his receivers in the hands. To me, there's a difference in hitting your receivers in the hands and putting the ball in the general vicinity where your receiver can get his hands on it. Those are two different things. Desmond Ritter was doing the latter, and more often than not, that got his receivers killed because they're reaching up high to get a ball that Desmond Ritter put in their vicinity, and they do have these big catch radiuses. That's why they're here. However, there's a difference to me in doing that and living with the consequences of your receiver getting crushed and kind of putting it right where their hands are between the numbers. So I just wanted to clear that up because I've been thinking a lot about that uh, ever since I said it. I didn't like that point from me and listening back to it. I was like, "That's you sound like an idiot. Hopefully I was a little bit more clear uh, right there explaining it all for you guys. But let's go to uh, my conversation with Mike Rothstein, who is always very clear um, about the Atlanta Falcons. I'm joined once again by Mike Rothstein of ESPN, who does an incredible job covering the Atlanta Falcons. Mike, I'm glad to have you back. Man, you're you're too you're too kind to me, Will. You just are. Uh, depending who you ask, I do a good job or a bad job. I, I don't know. You know. Well, if you ask me, you do the best job of anybody out there. Well, right? so now, it's, see, now it's you're not going to get, whether... be able to get D-Led on your podcast. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, D-Led owes me too many favors, um, so he. I, I think we can get him back there. You okay, know, just, I've done some. Just check it. Hey, listen, this is a great week for D-Led because his uh, punt hang time times will be much more appreciated in in the UK versus versus the US. I think. So we gotta we gotta get him out here in in front of the uh, the crowd, see how they they soak up some D-Led. But we are here, of course, to talk about. The Falcons going across seas to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars after, you know, a an interesting first loss to the season. And that's kind of where I want to start. That's Mike. kind. And, interesting. It's kind. <laughs> exactly. But I'm not, I don't think I'm going to start in the place that, that you expect because I want to first and foremost ask you what you thought about the Lions because you used to cover Detroit. I did. You know, you are very well acquainted with that atmosphere, with that fan base, with that team. I know it's a different team now than when yeah. you covered it, but you are pretty well equipped to at least gauge how this team was different than, you know, the long-standing Lions. So how much credit, I guess, should we give Detroit for that win? I mean, listen, that that team is good. Like, they're just good. Because the other thing that you have to take into consideration when you're talking about them is they were out with, they were without Taylor Decker. They were out without mm-hmm. Hal Vitae, two of their starting offensive linemen. They're out both their starting safeties, although, you know, Tracy Walker is a starting caliber safety in the NFL. He just happened to be replaced by C.J. Gardner-Johnson. You know, so like that, that's the only reason that Tracy Walker wasn't a start, isn't a starter. He could start on probably, I would say, 23, 24 teams in the NFL. I think he's that. I think Tracy's that good. Now he's coming off an Achilles. Um, they were out without David Montgomery. Obviously, without Jameson mm-hmm. Williams, but they knew that that was going to happen. Uh, listen, they're well coached. They're tough. But the thing that stood out the most to me, beyond the fact that it was awesome to see a whole bunch of people in Detroit that I had known then, uh, and that a lot in a lot of cases I did not get a chance to say goodbye to because I left A, in the offseason, and B, during still when COVID was very much yeah. a factor. 
So it, it was great to see guys like El Moore, who's the director of security, and Mo Pearson, who's the director of player, who's like their alumni director, and uh, and, and Rod Wood, their team president, in uh, Kelly Cazole, who runs a lot of their business side stuff, and uh, just to name a few of, of people that I got to to spend a few minutes with. It was awesome. But as far as the thing that stood out the most was not anything that actually happened on the field. Uh, Ford Field can be a very loud place. Uh, I've seen it be a very loud place uh, a couple of times, but also saw it be not as loud. But you always heard myths of how loud it could be, and they, they still point to this game, a Monday night game against the Bears. I think it was in 2011 that they still point to. That was the loudest I've ever heard Ford Field, and I covered that team for eight seasons. It can mess with you because, like, so they have an open-air thing. Like, So you've been to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's open-air but enclosed. Yep. This is different. It's like open-air, but there's not an enclosure because it's just at the top of, like, the industrial factory field that, that Ford Field has. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think that stadium's awesome, by the way. There's not a bad seat in it. Um, it was so loud. I, was, I, I remember being like, man, I, I can't imagine what this is like. For guys like Ritter, for their offense to hear it, to communicate. And that plays a factor. That plays a role. Like, you know, we talk about home field advantage, and people were so excited that the Benz was was loud for the – well, I, I would say more the Panthers game because the Packers game, it was uh, – It was a lot of Packers yeah, fans. A bit. Like, uh, a couple of times you'd look and be like <laughs> – As there always are. Right. I mean, Packers, yeah. Steelers, like – Patriots, like those teams travel super well. Yeah. Bills. I was Bills. surprised by the Bills. 2017. Yeah, yeah. There were a lot of Bills fans in the building. Well, so, like, you know, the, there are levels to this, which is a boxing term, but there are levels to this in terms of stadium noise. Detroit was next level. And that stood out to me as much as anything on the field. But Jared Goff looks great. He really does. <laughs> I, I thought Atlanta did a really good job of hitting him. I know there's a kerfuffle yeah. on on Twix about, you know, well, they didn't get the sacks, right? But you hit them nine times. Like, so you're, mm-hmm. you're, theoretically, you're affecting those passes. You're you're getting to him. That's progress. That's pressure. That matters. So right. I, I would say this. Jared Goff's a really good quarterback. Like, Jared Goff might be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFC, not named Jalen Hurts. And no, I, I- I think he absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. And, and that matters. Like, that, that just does. So I was impressed by what I saw from, from the Lions. Like, there's been no question to me, I'm a Ross St. Brown's a dude. Like, Sam Laporte is really good. They're lying even without <laughs> – yeah, yeah, they're lying even without Decker and Vitae. I mean, Frank Ragnar, I still think he's the best center in the NFL. Like, that dude that dude can play. He's tough. And Penny Sewell you know, might be one of the better right tackles in the NFL. Like, they're a very talented, well-built, well-constructed franchise team. And yeah. Saying that about the Detroit Lions is is kind of borderline <laughs> kind of weird. because for decades yeah. you would not have said that. But they are really, really good. It's funny, Will, last week I did a whole bunch of Lions podcasts. Like, their official podcast, which I usually never do, but – because they're the Lions and because I know those people, I was like, yeah, no problem. I did the SB mm-hmm. Nation podcast for them because I know those guys well and uh, think the world of the guys over at Pride of Detroit um, as people. And I've always done their show. Uh, even when I came here, they would have, they have like do like stuff for charity and I would always try to pop on. Uh, That's awesome. Then. And 
I, you know, I got criticized because they said I was making the Falcons out like the 85 Bears or the 2017 <laughs> Patriots or 2007 Patriots rather. And I'm like, I didn't think I was. I just was very, you know, I think they're def- I think the Falcons defense is good. I think Bajon Robinson's really good. Um, yes. yep. And the the Lions made the Falcons look bad. I, the, the thing that stood out the most to me, and hopefully we can use this to transition a little bit, is Arthur Smith said on Monday that really for one of the first times in a long time, and my guess is probably the first time since somewhere in that 2021 season, he felt like his team wasn't at the same level of being willing to fight back. And I'm paraphrasing here. Mm-hmm. I saw that quote. That, to me, says everything I needed to know about both the Lions and also how Arthur Snuff felt about the game and probably what really bothers him more than any of the mistakes or any of the plays that happened on the field because that's what's won them games. That's what's kept them in games has been their resiliency, and they just did not show that at all. I Great transition, so perfect setup. But, yeah, that quote stuck out to me, and it was apparent watching the game. I'm not sure if it was, uh, you know, from the press box, but at least, like, on TV and then in my rewatch, it was, like, the the Lions' defense especially, but, you know, offensively as well, like, they just felt violent was the word that kind of kept coming to my mind. was, like, they are playing violently and in a stark contrast to the Falcons. Like, it started on the very first drive for Atlanta that Tyler Algier passed to the flat and and Bajan is what like just Alex Anzalone was eating him up right yeah. there and I was like he just got knocked out of bounds like stopped momentum moving forward everything so they I weren't eating to... kneecaps bull. they were eating souls <laughs> dog they were eating every like they got the kneecaps for appetizers then they were like hmm these thighs look good yeah let's, let's I mean do no that. like you know I said they were, here, souls, they, 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 they were eating souls <laughs> I mean they no, they are a tough, violent team, which is what their image is in terms of what they're yes. trying to build. And that is uh, – we saw that. And I think that that's what Atlanta is trying to get to. Exactly. So and are you – they have Do you it, think Atlanta can get back to that this weekend? I think they can, yeah. I, I think they ran they – ran Was this like a wake-up call for them a little bit on the road? I think so. We're going to learn a lot about Atlanta this week because they are going technically on the road. But so they are going to London. It, it's going to be more of a neutral site thing. I've covered one of these London games before. That's what it is. Um, yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, I, I thought the Jaguars would be much better than they are so far, certainly record-wise. Certainly uh, record-wise. They, I think they've played okay. Yeah, they have I think they have. Yeah. But, you know, listen, this is a good measuring stick game for them. And here's the thing. Even if Atlanta loses, they're still 2-2. Two and two. And at worst, mm-hmm. they are one game back in the division. And that's your ticket to the playoffs this year for your Atlanta is winning the division. And then after that, theoretically, a reasonable stretch of games come, is coming up. Although Houston has looked good. Washington has looked good. Houston does look good, too. You, you, that's who you're playing. You're at home against Houston. You're at home against Washington. And... You, you, you kind of go from there, and then you're going to Tampa, and I don't think Tampa's as good as people necessarily think, although Baker's played well in two or three weeks, and we'll see how that goes. And then you go to Tennessee, Mike and Tennessee always- well, might be starting Will Levis. So uh, <laughs> I know, but I'm yeah. being serious. Like, I am not – like, this is an important game, but also to me, if they get out of the stretch two and two, that's probably where I thought they were going to be throughout a chunk of this. I – I agree. I think early on, yeah, you definitely looked at it and you said, okay, Green Bay, 
Jacksonville, like we expect Jacksonville, Detroit, they're an up and coming team. Yeah. So uh, I think people realistically could have been okay saying one and three. And I think a lot of people would have said, okay, like that's reasonable. So yeah, to, to emerge two and two. And more importantly, I think for your two losses, uh, again, the, like neutral site game, but to come away from Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And I know that's an emphasis for this team this year is like play better at home, yeah. win your home games. You know, you ultimately maybe feel a, a little bit better about that. But let's let's talk about the offense in the context of the violence that Detroit played with, right? Because I I don't know, you know, how because I'm trying to on the one hand separate the the seven sacks and like you said about Jared Goff, how much that would rattle a quarterback, especially a young quarterback in the first road game in an environment that you just described is you know, very unique and among the loudest when it's really rocking, and it was. However, there were many plays where he had a pretty clean pocket or he was rolling out and there wasn't a defender in his face or what have and and he missed balls or he, you know, missed reads or what have So how do you personally kind of evaluate Desmond Ritter's game? Is it as sky is falling as a lot of people want to make it seem, but but on the flip side, it seems as though a lot of people want to make excuses for Desmond Ritter in this game. So did you see any progress from him in any areas, even in a kind of a poor effort? I, I thought he made a couple of really good throws. The, the throw to London, I thought was really good you know, on that first drive. I thought the throw to Pitts on that drive, while it looked like an overthrow, I actually thought mm-hmm. that was a well, well-intentioned ball, well-placed ball. Uh, but he didn't listen. I didn't think Desmond Ritter looked particularly good. I thought he missed on a lot of throws. Uh, I thought on other throws, he put his receivers in harm's way, which uh, will not engender um, happiness in the locker room with players if you do that too often. Now, luckily, Johnny Smith wasn't hurt, you know, very briefly, briefly hurt, but not anything serious. He get like the wind knocked out of him? I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he came right back in that next series of practice today. So, Clearly, it was not anything significant. Um, yeah, I mean, that was concerning to me. Uh, some of those throws, some, but you know, in the last two weeks, he's made throws that are concerning. Now, I'm also not in the sky is falling. I don't think he's can be the guy type camp because, again, he has seven starts. He mm-hmm. is three in this offense because it's a much different offense than last year, whether you want to believe it or not. Do you know what is different about it? Is it just the addition of Bijan Robinson? I mean, or, it's, or it, there... it's personnel. It's packages. It's um, like I wrote about a couple of weeks ago. It's the fact that they can be positioned agnostics. So you're all of a sudden in control of a lot more stuff pre-snap and in mm. a lot and kind of understanding where players need to be with certain personnel packages where a year ago that was not the case. And also, you remember a year ago, that offense was designed for Marcus Mariota. Now, I yeah. think there's some elements that have stayed the same, some of the zone read stuff, a lot of uh, emphasis on the run game. But I believe also there's there are some different elements in it. Now, listen, the accuracy stuff is concerning, but that was always a question about Desmond Ritter. Mm-hmm. What was the accuracy? He, he needs protection. They didn't get that. At all. I mean, seven sacks. Now, you can argue the last two were in very difficult situations. But even still, I went back and watched all those sacks a couple of times. And Arthur Smith had even said it in post game, And I went back and I really tried to figure out how each one of those things happened. And it was 
Matthew Bergeron didn't have the best day, but it was like a different spot every time. Like Drew, Drew Dahlman gave one up. Caleb it McGarry was, yeah. gave one up. Keith Smith gave one up. Desmerger held on to the ball. I would say on the Keith Smith one, probably held on to the ball a little bit too long because it, that was a wide angle. Like it wasn't even on the all 22 that I watched um, where the guy was coming from in the picture. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's a combination of factors, but you, you need to have better pass protection. Otherwise, no quarterback is really going to look good in this offense, especially when with the relative lack of experience that Desmond Ritter has, I'm not ready to like move on from that. Move on. Like I know there's a segment of, of the Atlanta Falcons fan base that is done with Ritter. I know that there is once again, conversations of, well, will he get benched? They should trade for this person. They should trade for that person to quote Aaron Rodgers, R E L A X. At least a little bit. I, I, I get the concern, but at the same time, like it's one game. He also didn't turn the ball. Well, he did turn the ball with the sack fumble at the end, but like mm-hmm. he, he didn't throw an interception. There really, I'm trying to think back. I don't think there were any balls that were like obvious, like should have been picks this week. Uh, like, there were, there like, like, like there was last week. Last week, there were, or in week two, yeah. there were like two or three that you're like, oh, that's not good. But you're a young mm-hmm. quarterback. You're going to have some of that. Um, I, I guess I'm just not super concerned yet. That um, said, I'm, that not, said yeah. I'm starting, Will, to to kind of think a little bit. If that makes okay, sense. it's 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 keeping you up, you know, two minutes past your bedtime. No, you're I mean, not, I don't. I'm laying listen, away, not, uh, we, staring at the wall. We we we've established I'm not a Falcons fan. I don't hate the like. I, I don't much like, and this is part of why there's a segment of the Lions fan base that doesn't like me either. I'm not a fan one way or the other. I'm here to chronicle what happens, to write what happens, to find interesting stuff. We all know that. No, I'm the I'm the shill. Right. So nobody's questioning your integrity. Okay. No, like, I'm not saying you're. I'm not saying they are. I'm just. I'm just pointing it out. I'm just saying. No, but yeah, I'm nothing's just saying, keeping like, you up. It's at not going to keep me not, up. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to keep me up at night. But it is interesting to me some of those yeah. decisions. And uh, I actually th- I recommend people go and listen to Desmond Ritter's presser today because he was mm-hmm. very detailed in kind of what his like pre- preparation looks like throughout the week. Uh, and, and I thought that was intriguing and interesting. It can maybe give a little bit of insight to the mind of, of the quarterback. But I, I I do think that the Falcons do need to see improvement. And I wouldn't yes. say it's like an immediate thing, but you need to start feeling a little bit better be, about what Desmond Ritter can do. Because at some point, Atlanta is going to have to make a decision if they are getting more of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that he overall has that right mental makeup because like he doesn't ever seem to be rattled by his like when he has these ebbs and flows, he comes right back and he rips that 15 yard pass kind of like over the middle in yeah. triple coverage. And you're like, whoa, dude, you could do that. But like, why can't you do it kind of on every third and long when they really need that big play, you know, like a like some of these um, other top quarterback prospects. But like Desmond Ritter, again, is a a work in progress. He is a developer. That is what he did at Cincinnati. He grew. He he got better. And I'm just kind of like, can we let him learn the lesson? Can we let him learn the lesson that this loss should hopefully provide? Well, but you know the answer to that like question. Kick you, him to the curb. Right, right. But there, <laughs> of course, I mean. There's always, fan is short fanatic. There's always going to be that segment and I think in this case, a loud segment on social media that, that's going to want to skies falling, doom and gloom. You know, they didn't score a touchdown. They, you know, they haven't scored a touchdown, by the way, on the road. 
uh, since Desmond Ritter's first start. Wow, and that so, was New Orleans. Yeah, so I mean, they're they're eight quarters in now without uh, an offensive touchdown here on the road. Uh, I don't know if Jacksonville will count, um, you know, in that or not. But it's you know, it, they, it's the I mean, biggest, that's a- yeah, the biggest issue to me, truthfully, right now with the offense is they are not good early in games and really early out of the second half either. Like they're much better in the second and fourth quarters, which to me says they're good at making adjustments and Arthur is good at making adjustments on the fly in games. But for whatever reason, they're not starting strong. I've asked Desmond Ritter about this multiple times and he has not given a great explanation as to why, because I think that some of it, they're just chalking up to that's life, but also I don't know (laughs) if they know why that's happening. Which is concerning, and I know, you know, Arthur said that he kind of took a look at a lot of the opening game scripts under Desmond Ritter this week to, to try to figure it out. But, like, yeah, it to me, it's felt almost disjointed, and I want to ask you about the run game, but specifically the first two games, Carolina and Green Bay, it, it almost felt like they wanted to try to get the passing game going, and then when they got in trouble, they were like, all right, you know what, run game, let's unleash you. Let's get back into this thing. That's when they would start sustaining these drives, and and it worked. On on Sunday against Detroit, I mean, obviously nothing was working, but I'm curious because the obviously the lack of overall rushing attempts. You know, you look at the score, you look at the way the game unfolded. That's not surprising. Surprising, but I, I do think back to last year against Cincinnati, and you said different team, Marcus Mariota, quarterback. So you're much more, I think, reliant on the ground game with him yeah. than you do feel like you are with Desmond Ritter. But but they stuck to the run in that game, even though they were getting blown out. And I just didn't feel that same stick to with the run game in, in this one. Do you think that's because of the early down performances? So like first and 10 turns into second and 14 a lot. Do you think it had to do with just Detroit had a great game plan for what the Falcons were trying to do on the ground? Or do you think it was the Falcons really want to get this pass game going and you just got to take your lumps sometimes to do that? I think it's the first two things. One, they were not getting anywhere. But two, so I talked to Brian Branch, their corner slash safety, Mm -hmm. after the game. And I talked to Derek Barnes, their linebacker, the, the Lions linebacker after the game. And I asked that question. And it was in my story that ran on Monday. Uh, yep. Brian Branch was very specific. He said that their game plan all week and that their coaches were all up in them about it. Dan Campbell, Aaron Glenn, the secondary coach, like every coach was very simple. Take away the run and you've got a really good shot. Now, we hear that a lot, but the evidence is also there that that was very much what – they were trying to do. They were stacking boxes. And the other part of it that Brian Branch said was that they felt like if they took, could take away Desmond Ritter's first read, they would be in a really good spot. That mm, was actually more interesting to me than the yeah, one piece of that, because that same. tells me that they feel like Ritter might be one read and go. But also to me, also what that also told me was they felt their pressure was going to be able to get home. And that was very evident very, very early on yeah. where he can't get past one or two reads. And if he does, he's probably going to end up in the ground or having a, it having a junket. Also so makes, that was makes the me part. Yeah, no, for sure. But, and this will be quick. It makes me think too about the, like 
the pass schemes, the route combinations, things like that, because we know the Falcons, you know, they they bring a lot of guys in when you're running that play action. Like, you're going to have a lot of two-man route concepts, so maybe it literally is. We knock one guy off, like, that second route is not really where you want to go on this play. It's more the decoy. And then, yeah, Desmond's patting the ball and looking for Bajan or Tyler. But sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, I, I mean, I think that's part of it. That's exact. That's that's where they're running in trouble. I thought they ran a lot of play action. They had, what, three – I think three of the seven sacks came off of play action uh, mm-hmm. based off of my, my rudimentary math. That's not great. Um, but also that – that tells me that they were not, I don't want to say getting predictable, but th- listen, their defensive mm-hmm. front was just, I, you know, they're, they're like, oh, they only had one sack coming in the game, meaning Detroit. Yeah, but their defensive front is deep, and Aiden Hutchinson is a great player. It was only a matter of time before they were able to cause some problems, and we saw what happened in the Carolina game. Like early on, Brian Burns, Derek Brown made life miserable for the Falcons offensive line, and they had to change their entire mm-hmm. game plan. It's part of why they started running as much as they did then. Well, now teams are realizing that, hey, maybe the pass pro isn't that good for Atlanta. So they're going to stack the box running, and then they're going to have, you know, you're trying to balance that out with some play action. You know, I mean, that to me is the biggest issue right now. It's not the play of Desmond Ritter, it's the play of the offensive line. Because if the offensive That's- line is going to not be able to protect, or protect well, well, I, I don't know if it's going to matter. Because also that's going to yeah. hurt your run game as tough as Tyler Algier runs and as like, as Bajan <laughs> Robinson is. Mm-hmm. If they're not getting any blocking, it's not going to matter. That's that's a really good point. I mean, if yeah, if it becomes so much easier to play or make him play left-handed if the left hand is also like broken. Right. I mean, but, that, like if, but think about why they were able to run so well last year, right? Every yeah. blocker they had, every offensive lineman they had, even that like rotation of Mary Carousel at left guard, were all like A plus run blockers last year. Well, I don't and know I think Bergeron can be there. He's just a he's a rookie. Yeah, like just, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, like that was a rough game for him. They lined Hutchinson mm-hmm. up on him a little bit. Bugs just kind of blew through him. Like, you know, that there are going to be those games for him as a rookie. Like I think on the whole, he's handled himself pretty well, but I mean, some of the run blocking has not been great. And then on, you know, the pass on the pass pro side, well, you, you got, you have an issue. You, you do you yeah. have a legitimate issue. And I asked Arthur Smith kind of about it with the offensive line. I don't necessarily think they're going to make a change on that line right now, but storm Norton started, 18 games with the Chargers at right tackle. They just signed him off 53. They said they've been looking at or to the 53 off in New Orleans. By the way, it drove seven hours from New Orleans to Atlanta yesterday. <laughs> oh, uh, long day for for a storm. Yeah. Uh, maybe the best name in football. But love it. Like to me, I look at this offensive line, and if they don't get any better pass protection that's where more than anything else i would look to make a move before you were to move on from desmond ritter because the difference is if you move on from desmond ritter you can't go back yeah that's a great point i mean and if you move on from an offensive lineman uh and and really i think there's only one guy but i'm you never know how they would they would move like you move on from an offensive lineman you can move on from from a week or so or or two weeks and, and go back there you know, yeah. and use it as a reset. You can't do that with Desmond. 
just not. I, I just don't think. I mean, you can, but I don't think it would go well. I I agree. Yeah, not not given not given the fact that it's all off season talked about it. Not like no, you you couldn't you couldn't do that. So I I completely agree with you. And we know you know we know what the Falcons offense kind of needs to do to get right. I would like to see them get Kyle Pitts, Drake London involved more, but that's almost the the result of focusing on the process of getting your offensive line right, of getting your passing it, like that will come. I want to talk about the defense a little bit though, and and talk about it in the context of this matchup with Jacksonville, because you know we we know about Jacksonville's offense, we know about Trevor Lawrence, we know about Calvin Ridley, uh, Christian Kirk, Travis Etienne, Evan Ingram's playing well, so like they've got weapons. But I actually have been really impressed with uh, Atlanta's defense, and even against Detroit, you know, I, I thought that they. They gave up 20 points, but like they did pretty well. They did their job, in my opinion. What what has been your impression of the defense so far? And and do you think they can continue to play at this high level? I know they did for one game, but without Troy Anderson kind of in the middle there uh, moving forward. I do, because look at what they do without Troy Anderson against Green Bay. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, listen, this defense has been much improved. And a lot of that has to go to Ryan Nielsen. A lot of that has to go to the additions that they made. On the defensive front, specifically, Caden Ellis was awesome Kaden, too. Caden, Detroit game. Yeah, I mean, Caden to me uh, has been the most pleasant surprise if you're looking at the Falcons' defense because you knew what Jesse Bates was. He's been mm-hmm. very impactful, right? <laughs> you 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 know what AJ Terrell is. Trey Flowers has been okay in a tough spot. Yeah, it, they, but the Falcons have also made it very clear their plan is for Jeff Okuda to come back and start. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Jerry Gray kind of said it. I asked Arthur Smith that point blank and he said, yeah, like the plan is for Jeff Okuda to be a starter. Now, will that happen this week or will it be, you know, next week? I, I would imagine one of those two weeks it will, it will end up happening again. But Caden Ellis has been fantastic for them. I, you know, he, he's, we knew he could rush the passer from an edge rusher spot, but he's showing he can rush the passer from up the middle. I think he's been okay in coverage, which, that's mm-hmm. that's okay, you know. I mean, yeah. the Ellis fa- by the way, the Ellis family is just incredible, incredibly talented at football. I wrote a whole thing about them for Saturday. And what does Jonah Ellis, who's the younger brother, do at Utah? He goes out and has three and a half sacks on Saturday for Utah. Like, I Heck mean, yeah, he's he's really good too. Um, <laughs> but you go back and look at it; their defensive front is is because of what Ryan Nielsen had said they were going to do to begin with, which is have rotations like hockey lines. That's kept guys fresh on the whole. Now, they haven't gotten a 50-50, which is what he says he wanted, but I don't think that that was ever the real plan. I think it's always been this two-third, one-third scenario, and if they're in a spot where they're up in a game, maybe they would go to a 50-50 if they're up enough, you know, and and, and get some rest for guys like Calais Campbell and David Omignata and and, and Grady Jarrett, but uh, they've been good, man. And Bud Dupree, like the the old men, is as I like to call them. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but if you think about it, that's really their rotation on the lines, right? It's the old guys and the young guys because you've got yeah. the young guys, which are like either Lorenzo Carter or Arnold Abiquete, Zach Harrison, Taquan Graham, and Albert Huggins. And yeah, then, it's not D'Angelo alone. He's like basically only playing special. Yeah, teams. D'Angelo, you're right, right, right. But I'm just saying that defense. Line. And then the old guys right. who are your starters are Campbell, Omignata, 
Jaron and Dupree. Yeah. It's like, you know, over 30, under 30. Uh, Do you think that's why we're seeing a discrepancy in in the pressures versus the sacks? Like, I obviously, like, we don't know the answer to that, but I just, I'm curious if you've got, you know, your lines of maybe old guys who know how to push the pocket, but, like, lack that, like, extra little twitch that they maybe used to have to, like, get the quarterback down. And then young guys who, again, are, are kind of, like, all going after it, have that switch, but maybe like the refinement to again make that final move to get the quarterback. I wonder if there's anything. To there might be. I, like, you know, I hadn't thought of it. I hadn't even thought just, of the old versus young thing until we were just talking. Yeah. I mean, but part of it too is then you have to figure out okay, when are you going to blitz? Because that uh, that is what like when Kaden Ellis blitzed against the Packers and got a sack, he was unblocked, and part of that was because of of what happens up front. Like that that group up front's been pretty good when they've needed to be. Hasn't always been like that. Like I thought some of their run defense stuff was pretty rough against Carolina, against Green Bay at points. thought they were okay uh, against Detroit and, and yep. did an all right job on Jameer Gibbs but and Craig Reynolds. But like you, you sit there and you say, okay, that that's I, – I think when you're looking at that defensive line, that's been a good area of improvement. And I'm not worried about the sack numbers because if those pressure numbers continually being what they are, they're going to eventually get sacks. I mean, Jared Goff is a very experienced yeah. quarterback. He can take a lot of punishment, but he also knows how to get rid of the ball really quick because he's more of a pocket passer than a runner. I always has been where it'll be interesting how they handle Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it's an interesting group of quarterbacks that they're, they're facing coming up, right? Between Trevor Lawrence, CJ Stroud, um, Sam Howell, Baker Mayfield, and then the, whoever starts for Tennessee. Um, like, but that's an interesting group of kind of guys who can be mobile. And I do wonder if that's going to be more of a help for Atlanta's defense in terms of maybe getting, you know, getting the quarterback down because sometimes the more mobile guys um, don't get rid of the ball as quickly. Like we saw Jared Goff do. Yeah, I mean they're yeah they're extending the play and I, but I mean there there was a play Trevor Lawrence had against Houston where it's like he he probably ran eighty yards to pick up a like a thirteen yard yeah. first down run it was very impressive but yeah I mean the mobility for him he's less a scrambler but he's he does buy time in the pocket really well he shakes guys off I, I don't think Houston had a sack against Trevor Lawrence but you would like to think the opportunities are going to be there a little bit more than somebody who is just getting the ball out before you can get to him um last so last question before we wrap up and i let you out of here just what are your expectations for this sunday i mean like what uh, not like final score wise but just what kind of effort do you expect this team to give after you know what we saw in detroit well i mean i believe the toy story funday sunday show will be great on disney plus I tried to have somebody on from ESPN to, to talk about that uh, broadcast, and it fell through, unfortunately. Sorry, listeners. So you but just I'm have Nisette, who also works for ESPN. No, I, I'm looking forward to watching Yeah, pitch it. Play. Sell it. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen much of it. I talked to Bradley Pinion a little bit about it. I actually talked to Desmond Ritter a little bit about it. Uh, I think it's going to be really cool. But I do, too. I, yeah. I'm very curious – to see what they look like. Like this, this has is a bounce back game, not in the toy story broadcast. Yeah, I, I am not like, the, I imagine like animated Arthur Smith is going to get some rotten here. How but, big the mustache do you think it's going to be? I mean, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be tremendous actually. 
<laughs> like I'm kind of hoping they have an animated Ryan Nielsen too, like somehow, like mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know the, the mustache twins and, and Mario Jeberil, who I doubt they will have an animated voice. But you know the three of them, the trio, it's a mustache thing. Um, no, I I think, but listen, the if they don't show that toughness that Arthur Smith is looking for, then they're going to lose again. If they don't show more offensively. They're going to lose again. It, it, it's that simple. Like, the, those are the two areas. Like, that defense, well, yeah, they gave up 20 points. But, I mean, really, they were exhausted by the end. And mm-hmm. you held up 30. You know, Jesse Bates gets that pick. Not to go back to this game. But, like, Jesse Bates gets that pick. And then you don't convert it really in anything. That's your game right there. Because you, you score a touchdown there, a completely different game. You got a shot. Yeah, so, which is what so, they at least been doing. Right, exactly. Kind of, so, so far, they need to get kind of get back to that philosophy. Also, they need to stop starting slow, man. Like that, yeah. it, it really. Well, the defense there. has had to pick them up right. so many times exactly. in these games where it's like a third and one that they make the big stop, and it's like awesome. Offense gets the ball again, and yeah, they just keep squandering these opportunities, yeah. and eventually the defense is going to let that third down conversion happen. The other team is going to get off to a 10-0 start. And then what do you do? Right. I mean, it's well, if you're the Falcons, you probably continue to run. But I, the other thing I would want to see is they need to give Tyler Algier the ball more. I know that people are like, oh, Bajon Robinson, Bajon. Yeah, Bajon's great, but you don't. And people are like, oh, they need to give him the ball more. They draft him at number eight overall. If he had caught all of his targets, it would have been 16 touches. That's a pretty good number for him because you don't want him to have 25 touches in a game right now because as tough as he is and as well built as he is, that's a position that breaks down throughout the course of a year. They, they should be giving the ball to Tyler Algier more because I think he's a good, I think he's a very good running back, but also his style of running is just going to get you two, three yards almost every time. And you do that once or twice. Well, you're putting yourself in manageables. And yes. that to me is, is a big key in order of doing this. They need to figure out a way to put themselves in like third and three or shorter more often than not, because they do have the personnel at that point to convert those more often than not. But that to me is the biggest key. I, I think this game is winnable and, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it, it's, it's a little bit of a toss up game for me. Uh, and then, you know, it, it'll be really interesting to see what happens Regardless, because I would say these two games after it, Houston and Washington, that's going to be the big key. That will tell us whether this team is a team that can theoretically win the division and make the playoffs or a team that has some real questions to ask themselves, because those are two teams that you should be able to beat, especially at home. Absolutely. I mean, Houston is is looking friskier, right? But you should beat those two teams and... Yeah, I, I think we got to see it from the Falcons this Sunday. But like you said at the top, you know, if if it's a good showing and they lose to Jacksonville, like I, I will feel better. I just need to see this, to get in the manageables, get get going early offensively. Defense, you're doing your part. Um, but Mike, you always do your part when you come on the show, and I, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, everybody, please go check out on Twitter at Mike Rothstein. Anything else you want to mention before no, you get out of here? just, you know, ESPN.com. Go click on my stuff there. Um, Instagram, Twitter, Twix, uh, 
that's that's pretty much where I am. I'm going to try. I don't know if I'm going to do it tomorrow or Friday. If you happen to be going to London, I will throw some. I, I meant to do it last week for Detroit. I'm going to try and do it every stop this year uh, because I, at the end of the day, I'm, in my heart and soul, I'm a food and travel blogger masquerading in sports, yeah. apparently. So I will put together some sort of like guide for people for London, uh, whether it's in a notes package or maybe even a short video uh, to try and help people out, especially if they're going over to the UK, a place I've been a few times, and and I, especially London, I have a great affinity for for a lot of of that place. So, yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, much like the rest of you, I'll be watching this game from the comfort of my couch on Sunday, and I'll probably have the Toy Story broadcast on one screen and <laughs> the regular broadcast on the other, and away we will go. Will, I appreciate it as always, my man. Thank you. Yes, great job. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's show, which as always was presented by Bet Online. Thanks again to Mike for stopping by and giving us the lowdown on Atlanta heading into a very important week for a matchup, even though, you know, he said you have emerged two and two. It's not the end of the world. I agree with that. But boy, it would be nice to uh, come away from this three and one and head back home with a matchup that's Really, honestly, I'm looking so forward to this Houston Texans matchup. I know we got the the Jacksonville game first, but Houston has been so much fun to watch. Um, and speaking of watching, I basically watch all of the Falcons opponents each week uh, for Bird's Eye Review, which is up on the Falcolic right now. It is a quick scouting report on every team remaining on the Falcon schedule. So I rarely ever plug my uh, written work here, but that's a piece that I spend a lot of time on each week. It's one of the things that I do for this show as well, because it allows me to kind of get a read on on our opponents, uh, the Falcons opponents upcoming. So please go check that out. I, I think you guys might enjoy it if you if you like this show. It's a lot of the same thoughts and insights. So that's all I, uh, I got for you guys today. I'm not going to plug the show because I just plugged that. So you guys uh, only one plug today. Congratulations. Uh, enjoy Sunday's game against Jacksonville. It's going to be bright and early, but That'll be a nice change of pace. Um, and you will get Ovi and I bright and early Monday morning with our thoughts on the game. So until then, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.